from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. The yeas are 216. The nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Well, hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. History in the making today as the Speaker of the House uh, for the first time in U.S. history has been removed by a vote. And that vote happened a little bit earlier today. There's been threats going back and forth. We've covered it on the program and lots of uh, different arguments, differing viewpoints. And we're going to get to the bottom of that. I want you to hear very quickly before we begin our discussion what Speaker McCarthy had to say on his way out. Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican speaker in this House. I don't think that rule is good for the institution, but apparently I'm the only one. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. So uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry is going to be the acting speaker And there was a vote today. The vote was decisive and it was, again, history in the making. Eight Republicans who uh, I'm going to nickname the Gang of Eight, uh, but it's not the real Gang of Eight. But they, um, for various reasons, voted to remove Speaker McCarthy. And one of those Republicans, Congressman uh, Bob Good from Virginia, he's with us right now. Congressman Bob Good, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So I think the question that everybody has, and I'm sure you've been asked it a million times in the last couple of hours, is why did you vote to remove Speaker McCarthy? Well, you have to go back to January for that question uh, or that answer, I should say. You know, in January, the speaker battle, from my perspective, was that uh, we could not continue the failures of the past where the Republican majority had let down the American people, had betrayed the trust they placed in us when they gave us the majority. And in recent history, in the last 15 years or so, when Republicans have had the majority, all the major spending bills had been passed with Democrat majorities. And I also, uh, in other words, with majority Democrat votes, and also I just had not seen from then Leader McCarthy the fight in my first two years in Congress that uh, I felt where I didn't feel like we were using every tool at our disposal to combat the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer agenda. And so we had a contest, and he did ultimately succeed on the 15th vote, as everyone knows. Uh, And so I tried to support him there. But uh, the, the culmination was the failed Responsibility Act, as I call it, the debt ceiling agreement, the uh, surrender to the Senate and to the White House, where we would have an unlimited, unlimited increase the debt ceiling uh, through January of 25, which was the Biden position coming in, no spending cuts, essentially, and unlimited increase the debt ceiling. You know, that's what we negotiated, the Biden position. We didn't need a House Republican majority to do that. 
And then he had committed to pass our, or at least bring to the floor all 12 spending bills before, well before the September 30 deadline. We only brought one before going to our August work period, and then we sort of forced him to bring three more or four more, one failed, uh, to the floor uh, before we got the September 30 deadline. And then it was clear to me at the very end last Friday that he would do anything, and I do mean anything, to avoid a government shutdown. No one wanted a government shutdown, but frankly, I had said all along, we shouldn't fear that in the sense that we harm the American people once again, we further exacerbate the debt situation. We perpetuate the policies under which they're suffering with the Biden, Pelosi, and Schumer policies in place from the omnibus from last year. And we did that. We did it with an unconditional debt ceiling, excuse me, a continuing resolution for 45 days, surrender to the Senate, surrender to the White House, and did that. And that was a capitulation. And so that was the final straw where the eight of us felt like you know, we, we needed to go ahead and move forward. Matt Gates filed the motion, and we were committed to supporting that motion. And uh, we have the opportunity to elect the new speaker. It's a win for the American people. It's a blow against the status quo. It's a blow against the establishment swap, the swamp, the uniparty cartel. And we have a chance now to have a contest or a competition for a speaker instead of a coronation. Folks, we're on with uh, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia, who voted uh, in favor of removing Speaker McCarthy today. Congressman, uh, thanks for the explanation, by the way. And now there's a lot of critics out there saying that McCarthy, um, in Spanish, there's a saying, malo que sea, as bad as he might be. And I'm not saying he's bad, but just for the sake of the point. He was proposing this uh, 30% reduction uh, for, for spending the, the, a pretty expansive border security measure, and all that seems to have gone out the window. Um, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? What do you say to the critics? No, uh, th those were policies that were essentially forced upon him by the conservatives in the House, um, and he uh, went along with those uh, to some degree at some times. Uh, but the Limit, Save, Grow bill that we passed back in April was a Freedom Caucus-originated uh, legislation, piece of legislation. Uh, the spending cuts were originated by the Freedom Caucus. The border security was originated by the Freedom Caucus. And in stops and starts and inconsistent yeses and nos, uh, he dithered and he dallied and he frittered and he fretted. And we just didn't have a vision casting, a leadership uh, driving uh, driving the, the Republican House together to get to, to keep our commitments. And that's how we got up to this deadline with only four of our 12 bills passed and the continuing resolution. But to that extent, to, to that point that you're making about the conservative policies that we were trying to advance, that doesn't change. I'm just confident we're going to get more of a partner instead of a, uh, a, a barrier to, to making those things happen. Now, for, for those, uh, there's a lot of people up in arms. Some are uh, applauding this. Some are decrying it. Uh, for those that say that this creates uh, an unnecessary mess that now empowers Democrats, what say you? Well, it certainly doesn't empower Democrats because we have the House majority. We'll have a House Republican speaker. But I would just say, you know, you get, oh, you're not going to get things done. What do you think is happening in Washington that's working for you? What is Congress getting done for you? What are you afraid that we're not going to get done because it takes us a week or two to settle on a speaker uh, what what has this has the current 
again, uniparty cartel. What have they done to help the American people? We got a $33 trillion deficit. We got an open border. We got a federal government that's weaponized against its own citizens. We got a depleted military. We got massive 40 year inflation, 20 year high interest rates. Gas prices are up. Grocery prices are up. Utility prices are up. Americans can't afford to buy houses. The average mortgage is $1,000 a month more than it was a year ago. We've got interest rates that are record highs or highs, you know, 20-year high interest rates. American people are suffering. It's like telling a surgeon, I don't care who does the surgery. I don't care what you do. Just do something. No, first do no harm. And, and, and we need a speaker that will help us to actually fight the Senate, fight the White House, Stand for something. Fight for something more than being speaker. And the ideal person will be someone who doesn't want to be speaker, but is willing to serve if called upon. What are your thoughts on who that might be? Well, I'm, I'm going to resist throwing out names there. I will tell you, I've talked to several. Several have reached out to me. Uh, it'll, it'll be a, a healthy contest. We'll have a, we will have a uh, candidate forum on Tuesday night. That's been announced. So between now and then, we'll be vetting and these candidates and meeting with this candidate and see who can build the coalition. And we will all own that speaker. And so we'll have not just the vested interest because we need to win for America, but we've chosen that speaker. And it wasn't just the presumptive speaker, the next one in line, the one who raised the most money or who had played the game. They will actually have to earn our vote, all of them starting equally. And that's the way that it should be. And this is historic. It's a win for America. And if you think, think you know, there's a reason why Congress had 20 percent approval rating and 80 percent of the people say the country's on the wrong track. Well, we don't want to keep doing what we've always done. That's how you get thirty three trillion dollars in debt and a two trillion dollar deficit this year. Congressman, when you have your your uh, nomination um, discussion this this coming week, um, there's ruminations that there are some that are and just like last time want to put forward uh, the 45th president of the United States as speaker. What are your thoughts on that? I, I don't think I have not heard that from any members of Congress. I've heard it from some folks outside of Congress speculating that I don't think there's any truth to that. I think he's got his hands full, uh, you know, running his race and obviously fighting the persecution under which he's suffering. And uh, I don't think he's a legislator. I think he's an executive. So I don't think that that would be that, that, that there's any truth to that. All right. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. I hear some rumors that Troy Nels might be considering that nomination. So we'll, time will tell. Congressman, I want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate your candor and uh, Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you. Great to be with you. Appreciate it. Likewise. All right, America, that was Congressman Bob Good from Virginia explaining why he voted to oust Speaker McCarthy. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, I don't know if this was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, uh, because it's it, it, there's so many ways of looking at it. Uh, only time, I think, is really ultimately going to tell. One thing we can all agree on is that spending is out of control. And if this is truly about spending and not personal in any way, great that we did it. I just don't know that we needed to oust the speaker in order to do it. But we shall see how this unfolds. So I'm grateful for the congressman joining us. And I also want to get into uh, a little bit of entertainment uh, straight ahead. You guys have heard that song. Um that echoes every time President Trump takes the stage. And we've heard it for years. God bless the USA by Lean Greenwood. Well, we're going to have a discussion with Lean Greenwood uh, straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. Of course, we're all proud to be Americans, and that is the anthem. Uh, you hear it all the time, and it, it's such a joy to to really listen to that song and, and feel the American pride running through you. It, it never fails, right? It, that's one of those songs, like the national anthem, just doesn't fail to kind of bring that that patriotic energy. And uh, Lee Greenwood, of course, is um, the, the singer there, and he's tremendous. And uh, he's our guest right now. Lee Greenwood, welcome, sir. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Great to be on the on the show and to know that something I wrote more than 40 years ago is still relevant uh, for American pride and and uh, and and make everybody feel that America's the greatest country on earth. Amen to that, brother. Now, Lee Greenman, let me ask you a question. I'm sure you've you know, you've answered these questions a million times, but new audience, same question. How did you get involved in all this? Um, I'm an artist. Uh, and I've been a singer, writer, musician since I was uh, 12, I guess. Um, I, you know, I pursue my music with a passion. I, I left home at 16. I graduated high school. I was a drum major for my high school band during football mm-hmm. season and uh, moved to Nevada. And Nevada's a neighboring state. So I thought, well, that's where the money is. I'll go there. And um, I stayed too long. But it's not that I didn't want to leave and, and find my career wherever it led me. I did move to Los Angeles for a couple of years uh, and moved back uh, kind of with my tail between my legs. And Vegas <laughs> was always good to me. It was good money. I dealt cards in casinos for a while. I wrote songs and, and music for major shows. And then if I got my career in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was like, well, this is different. Um, you know, I'm, as a country artist, and of course, I was raised in the country. There's nothing different here. Just kind of changed the way you sing and feel. But but then somewhere along the road, and it's just like something popped. And I said, I need to. I need to write this song called God Bless the USA. And I took it to my producer, Jerry Crutchfield, who we did 36 albums together. And he said, wow. well, this cut doesn't follow the mantra of your career, but if you want to do this, we'll do this. And, uh, but was never chosen as a single, Rich. It was never uh, meant to be a record wow. for radio. It was universal that I made the call uh, at that time. Phenomenal. What a career. What a story. Now, Lee Greenwood, um, th- there's some controversy surrounding country music that we're looking at right now. We've got uh, country music singer Marin Morris, and she's announced she's leaving the genre, right? She's no longer going to be doing country music or she doesn't want to be a part of country music due to the effects of, quote-unquote, the Trump years and what that's had on the music genre. I'm guessing she's talking about, you know, people speaking out on their mind on the issues of the day. Um, While it may not be Trump's fault, things that happened in the Trump years that we've seen, uh, people, all sorts of people are going kind of crazy. And we've seen people speaking out against that, like Oliver Anthony and Jason Aldean and people, you know, speaking their mind. And and I just think it's uh, it, to me, this seems like a mistake. But what's your thought? <laughs> well, it's just like, uh, how are you going to blame the music? I mean, you know, <laughs> right. we record music for our fans, for the people who love it and who uh, are part of the culture. Um, that and they adore an artist for what they represent and what they sing. I, you know, we we don't follow politicians. We don't we don't necessarily do uh, anything that influences what they do. Uh, if we align ourselves with a certain uh, politician, it may be by request, it may be by initiative. But I, I guarantee you that um, the music that I sing is because I love what I do. I, I love singing music that inspires the fans. Since I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and being from California it's not really that much different. 
uh, I was raised mm. on a farm and I'm in a rural area in Nashville and, uh, you know, we're, we're solid citizens here. I, I, I appreciate the, the, the mode the mad madness in, in Nashville over country music. I, when I was in LA, I probably kind of enjoyed the rock industry as well, or, you know, or Detroit for Motown and Latin music in Miami where my son goes to college. Now I just, <laughs> it's just yeah. about music. It's not necessarily to chastise or slap your hand because you sing a certain culture. I'm with you on that one, brother. I love Miami, and my family's Puerto Rican, and uh, I love all sorts of music. And, and I'm always taken aback when people, any type of music, you know, I grew up listening to hip-hop, and a lot of people take exception to hip-hop, but to me it's art imitating life through the expression of that artist, and you take it exactly. for what it's worth. Yeah, I agree, totally. So Marin Morris, now, and again, I feel like it's a mistake because, you know, I think country music fans tend to be a, a very passionate group. You know, they love this stuff. And, and and most music genres are the same thing, but I think country music uh, is one of those things that kind of brings you together. People get happy, and 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 I just for the life of me think: Do you think she gains anything from this? Does she get a new fan base? Is there like a ultra left leaning liberal uh, country fan base out there that's going to applaud this and make her a, a superstar for them? No, no, she's going to have to change what she does. Uh, and let me give you an example. A friend of mine, John Schneider, who was the remember the Dukes of Hazard, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so John uh, had a shot at country music. And and to tell you the truth, a handsome guy, you know, blonde, six foot one, and 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 they gave him a record career. And he said, I don't think I want to, you know, sing country. I think I'll just sing rock and roll. And basically, they handed him a career, and he turned his back on it. And and I think. Yeah. Uh, we kind of follow uh, when you're very young, you kind of follow the money. And then later on, you start to follow your heart. And, uh, and, and I hope that she's following her heart and not necessarily making a political decision just to think that she's going to get a leg up because the media is going to cover her decision. Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of crazy. It really is. It's hard enough to make it in any of the entertainment uh, or media industries. And to think that you've made it and to turn around and walk away from it is kind of nuts. I want to continue the conversation with Lee Greenwood, folks, superstar country singer Lee Greenwood. He's with us. He's coming right back with us. If you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with our guest, Lee Greenwood. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. And we're having a conversation with Lee Greenwood, uh, the uh, superstar country singer. You know, you definitely know his song, uh, God Bless the USA. 
And Lee Greenwood, um, to, to put a pin in our conversation, I think it, it, I agree with you. I think it's it's crazy to blame the music or to take exception to someone else's song about like Aldine's song, Try That in a Small Town, which she, she cites um, saying that, you know, people are streaming these songs out of spite. Um, but it, to me, it, it opens the door for a larger question, which is how is it, in your opinion, being that you're um, in, in the music world, how is it that what I talk about every day, which I think everything becomes uh, very divisive in 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 culture um, from a political perspective, how did this happen in music? <laughs> I thought music was that safe place where, you know, people just went to a concert. And you didn't worry about the guy next to you as a leftist commie or a conservative uh, Christian Republican or whatever. People were just like, oh, yeah, I like this band, too. H- how did we get there? Well, you may consider a society and how we like competition through sports. Uh, it's mm. city against city, you know, I mean, that, and it, to tell you, it's kind of healthy. That's a good thing. Um, but the people that I know in different genres of music, they are not jealous of our success and I'm not jealous of theirs. Uh, for instance, my song that I recorded called Wind Beneath My Wings was recorded by a number of art artists, Gary Morris, Sheena Easton, Gladys Knight, Lou Rawls, and Bette Midler, and all from different genres. And was a big hit. Wow. God Bless USA has been recorded by four or five different artists, all in different genres. We're not jealous of each other or each other's success. To tell you the truth, we really like crossing over and getting a larger audience. It's radio. And, and in the old days, it was record stores that would only rack you in a certain genre. If like Kenny Rogers had songs in several genres, it confused them. And it's like, no, no, mm-hmm. you can't do that. We have the pigeonhole you input in a certain place. So it's not, it's not us. And it really isn't fans. It's uh, it's the business, I think, of it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. The other day, just a quick aside, I spoke with a friend of mine who was um, pretty popular with the uh, freestyle music that came out of the East Coast back in the 80s, early 90s. And a uh, little genre that still lives on, but they haven't really moved much beyond the 90s. And he was telling me, he's like, you know, I still do shows and stuff like that, and I stay busy. He said, but every time I get hired for something, people ask me, do you have a, you know, like a, a, a merengue track, or do you have something in a different genre? That, and he said, so I had to end up composing a lot of different things. And he's like, because once you're with your fans, people that like you, they don't really care what you're singing. They just want to have a good time and enjoy your artistry. Well, that may be true. Uh, however, I think that the draw... Of a, of a popular artist uh, to the, to his fans uh, is important. I, th- I think it reinforces their love of their own brand of the culture. Uh, I have to tell you that you know we, none of this would be possible without uh, the soldiers who for, who serve us and uh, who who sacrifice for us. And mm-hmm. and consequently, Amen. through my music, I've learned to appreciate and learn to serve our military as much as I can. And I, I wanted to mention about a, a, a film that we have, you know, with, with Beyonce's film and um, a Taylor Swift's film coming out. Uh, we have a film as well that was pretty pretty important. We filmed it in Huntsville, Alabama, but it's 40 different singers who sing 40 years of my hits. And we filmed it with the veterans in mind. And so 11-12 this year, that's Veterans Day weekend, we're going to show it in all motion picture theaters. And we'd like your listeners to go to a place called adoptavet.com that's nice. adoptavet.com where you can pay for 50 bucks and send a veteran and a caregiver to the movies for free. And I, I think this is what I would like to do is make sure we can you know, fill these theaters with veterans and give them a, a, a rightful uh, a, a piece of dignity. Awesome. Again, let's give that website again. It's adoptavet.com, adoptavet.com. 
And when people go, they can contribute, they could sign up and and help you guys bring a veteran to the movies this November, correct? Yeah, and they'll. The, the, let me tell you, this is a stunning performance. It's one time. It'll never be shown again. Forty great singers from all genres of music who uh, came together to sing the, the hits that I made for forty years. And I've been I've been singing forty years, Rich. It's hard to believe. Wow. Yeah, I'm forty five years old. It's very hard to believe. <laughs> like almost my entire <laughs> I'm life. When my my first record came out. That's amazing. <laughs> now, Lee Greenwood, I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, and ask about you know some of the news of the day. Obviously, we, they ousted Kevin McCarthy today, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, there's lots of opinions on it. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's kind of curious. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil. It's kind of like a tidal wave. It just kind of sweeps through Congress, and they they get a hold of something like a dog gets a hold of a bone, and they just won't let it go. You know, I I don't. I don't know that McCarthy was such a bad leader, um, but mm-hmm. I, I know the swing through the Senate and, 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 and their majority and minority is so important to the next vote that comes up or, or the next president who gets elected. I guess uh, you just kind of have to live with it. I, I, I really hate it when stuff like that's happened, though, because I think other countries look at us and kind of yeah. just sneer at the side of them. Oh, those Americans, they don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, I, I really hate it that we have such a division and people bring people to task for uh, for trying to do the best they can for the country. Yeah. And from your view, and again, you, you made a really good point. You've been you've been singing for 40 years and you, you talk about patriotism. You are a patriot. Have you seen the patriotism level from your perspective go up, go down, go up and go down? Uh, where do you see us today? Um, probably have to look at it through a prism um, and, and decide uh, who you're asking. Um, I, you know, my audiences are naturally kind of pro-conservative, but they're also pro-military. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of veterans come to our show. So, I, you know... They some of them have some disdain about uh, are we supporting our military enough? Our 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 posture in the in the world are we still a major power? And and then if you ask uh, a twenty thirty forty year old, they might say something like, uh, I, "I really don't like what the president is doing because it embarrasses to the rest of the world." And uh, and then you ask maybe 50, 60 year old and they're like preparing for retirement. So they'd like to see Social Security taken care of in the Congress. It just depends. You know, I think where you're where you are in life and how, how you're asking. But I I think overall and I sing a call across the United States. We did 90 dates last year. We'll do more next nice. year, probably on our last tour. Uh, and it's about, um, I think, just the swell of uh, what happens next. I mean, I love sports, and I, I love you know those things that, that play the national anthem. I mean, that's the only place you seem to hear it, whether it's a rodeo or a NASCAR or NFL or baseball. It, at least they do that, and everybody stands up, and they get a, a, get a dose of patriotism. So I want that to continue. Yeah, I'm with that. Lee Greenwood, let everybody know the name of the film again and give them the website one more time. Let's get the audience out there to support you guys. Well, I really appreciate it. For all veterans on Veterans Day, make them feel very special this year. Go to adoptavet.com. That's adoptavet.com. For a simple $50 bill, you can send a veteran a caregiver to the movies and let them see this one-time fabulous show. They will not regret it. Have a great time. Adoptavet.com. Thank you. I appreciate it, Lee Greenwood. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I'm, I'm grateful that you came on the show. Cool. Thanks, Rich. You bet, brother. God bless. 
All right, folks, we're coming right back with your calls, more and additional coverage on all of the crazy that's going on in Washington. We're going to talk about it all. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you. Happy to be with you this Tuesday night. Wow, I can't believe it's Tuesday with all the news I've consumed today. <laughs> I feel like it's already Thursday. Jeez. Anyway, I want to uh, you guys in America to weigh in. We've got calls from Georgia, Brooklyn, New York, and Charleston, West Virginia. Excuse me. Uh, let us start with Danny in uh, Helena, Georgia. W-D-U-N. Go right ahead. Uh, I, I hope uh, Mr. Greenwood is listening. It, it's a long story. I'll do it as quick as I can. I'm a Whitewater River guy in northeast Georgia on the river. Deliverance was filmed on. It's a great place uh, and what have you. On busy weekends, they would send us over to uh, Tennessee to the Okoe River. That's the world's busiest commercially run river. Anyway, so we don't really know each other and, and what have you. And, and we see bus drivers come and go and what have you. So there's one extremely long hill that's really, really slow, especially for a rafting bus. And this this bus driver that's always had an attitude like to us that never would say anything to us. Um, all of a sudden on that hill, he, he breaks out into God bless the USA. And it's it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I bet it was. Yeah, we we get off the bus and, you know, the day is done. And I see him walking around. I'm getting ready to sleep in my car because I'm going to work 4th of July. And I told him, I said, you know what, buddy? I said, that was, that was something awesome. And his mother was there at a picnic table. And she said, you know what? That's so special to hear that. And I said, I just wanted to tell you that. So 4th of July, I'm not thinking anything. It's the last trip of the day. Right. And we had a, bu- a busload. The whole trip was Asians. They were Chinese. They were tech, young, young tech kids, uh, boys and girls, you know, in their 20s. Uh, they didn't really understand our paddle strokes. We were calling out, what have you. So anyway, we get to the same hill, and I've got the same bus driver. And he didn't break out into it. So I walked up there and I told him, I said, you know what, man? I said, mm-hmm. this is the time to sing this song. And he said, they won't understand. I said, break out into it. He starts singing it. And at the point when he says, stand up. Yeah, all, next to her. The whole, yeah. bus, <laughs> the whole bus stood up. They all said, Shh, and they sang in <laughs> their Asian-American voice. 
the rest of the song, and it was fantastic. That's a beautiful story, Danny. And, you know, it, it's always lovely to see when the whole crowd gets in it. It really is. That happened at a hockey game in New York not too long ago and with the national anthem. And um, I think the music went out for the singer, and the crowd just took over. And it was a year ago, maybe maybe more. And it, it really was. It was just a special moment. You know, call me a sap. Call me what you will. But uh, I always have an appreciation for things like that. Danny, thank you for tuning into the show. Call back anytime. Great speaking with you. Big shout-out to Georgia, WDUN. And uh, let us continue from Georgia to New York, Brooklyn, New York, listening on WFAS. Let's check in with Alex. Alex, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, and that was a great story. But I wanted to comment about uh, Kevin McCarthy's resignation and being ousted because I don't see what was really accomplished here. And some people are saying maybe Trump is going to be the Speaker of the House. I don't think that, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln is going to be Speaker before him for the next <laughs> 60 months because he just they just don't have the votes. There are too many rhinos and too many anti-Trump Republicans. I like what uh, these eight Republicans did uh, originally, where they forced Kevin McCarthy to sign a deal and commit to certain things. But this of getting rid of him is just going to be a distraction. And and the Democrats, they want a distraction, which is why I think uh, Kevin McCarthy didn't have any Democrats coming to his aid and voting for him, because they like this infighting. The sure. Republicans, we don't need a distraction. We're on the right side of the issue. Let's focus on the real stuff. And there is no way that we're now going to get someone better than Kevin McCarthy because, again, there are too many anti-Trump and, and rhino Republicans in the House. So the focus, rather than having gotten rid of Kevin McCarthy, should have been, look, Kevin McCarthy committed. He didn't follow through with what he said he was going to do when he signed that deal. And people like Matt Gates need to be focused on the primary to get rid of the rhino Republicans and say – we want to get a MAGA uh, Speaker of the House, but we could only do that if we have enough MAGA Congress people in the House, and that should be the focus. Instead, this is just a distraction and it's just chaos for no reason. You know, I don't you, Alex, any- I, I hear your point, and I, I, I see it. I hear, I'm hearing so many different sides of the story, and it's hard to come in on any one side because I think it's multifaceted. I agree with you. I think McCarthy was effective, very effective, in my opinion. Uh, of course, somebody will push back on me and say, well, what do you mean effective? He was giving money hand over fist to Ukraine. He had a secret deal with Biden. He had, first of all, I mean, the speaker's supposed to make deals with the president. I think that's how it works. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I also understand the position that these eight uh, Republicans took. They want to hold people accountable for spending. The, the, the bigger issue is I think there was already a a plan in place uh, to do that. And, and to Congressman Good's point, that that plan can continue should those Republicans push it is what he's saying. I feel that th- there's a bridge to gap between what the Republican conference wants to do uh, with along with what the Democrats want to do and what the White House wants to do. And McCarthy seemed to me to have the ability to navigate in and out of all of those circles. Uh, I don't know that if you get someone that's a hardliner um, like you know, I would love to be in Congress. I'm not saying I want to be in Congress, but if I were in Congress, I'd love to be a hardliner. But I also understand the nuance of it. You can be a hardliner when you're with your friends talking about politics, and you could be a hardliner on talk radio and say, you know, shut the government down and do all that. And that's what I say. But I think ultimately what ends up happening is th- there is a reality where concessions must be made. And I-, I feel that when you put this on the scale, I don't know. I just really don't know. I don't know if we're in a uh, a better position or a worse position. To me, it seems that the Democrats definitely got their way, and they're gonna they're gonna ride this wave. And 
and it's going to help them gain some momentum. Uh, I don't see how this becomes a win for Republicans in the, the short term. I think in the long term, potentially it could be. Hopefully they can coalesce around somebody like Jim Jordan, who I think would still be able to to do that type of thing. And I hear his name being floated out there and it's floated last time. And he said, no, I'm with Kevin McCarthy. Now that McCarthy's not running, maybe this is an opportunity for uh, somebody like Jim Jordan. But again, Jim Jordan's very, very tough. And I, I don't know if he's going to have that same finesse. I hope he does. I think he's phenomenal. Uh, and again, he hasn't even announced anything like that. This is just pure speculation on my part. But it, it is an interesting place to be where, you know, eight Republicans join with all the Democrats to get rid of the Republican speaker. And uh, we're going to continue to slice this apart and figure out, uh, you know, where what you guys think. You, the callers, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So President Trump was hit with a gag order saying he can't talk about his civil uh, suit that's in the New York court. And that was after, you know, he said a bunch of things yesterday. He said a bunch more things. We're going to talk about those at the top of the next hour. Uh, Fascinating. Fascinating the the, the way they they do things. Uh, Again, usually gag orders are to protect uh, witnesses and this and that. From what I understand, this is a civil thing or he's just defending himself in the public square. And somehow he's not allowed to do that. And uh, Representative Congressman Raphael Cuellar, he was carjacked in D.C. Things are getting rough. We're going to talk about crime as well in a little bit. But I want to circle back to the phone calls. Tommy's in Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. Tommy, what's on your mind, brother? Uh, I just want to uh, compliment you. Uh, I hope Mr. Greenwood is out there listening. Uh, he made an appearance uh, within the past couple of days. Uh, I forget exactly when. Here in West Virginia, in Huntington, uh, where uh, there was a commemoration uh, for uh, a monument uh, to Gold Star families, uh, mothers. As, as nice. you know, these are families who who, who lost uh, 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 their child, uh, brother, right. their sister. Who, uh, and uh, he was uh, uh, absolutely uh, terrific and well-received. And I just wanted to compliment the gentleman on doing that. I thank, well, thank you, you for having him on the show. You bet, Tommy. I appreciate that. And I thank you for the call and for tuning in. And, yeah, he's quite, he's quite the, um, the class act for sure. Lee Greenwood, a real staple in Americana and in country music. Folks, we continue our conversation straight ahead. We're going to talk about crime Uh, with the author of Unshackled, From Ruin to Redemption, Gene McGuire is going to join us. And we're going to talk about how there's actually TikToks, right, videos online teaching people how to become a organized crime shoplifter during this crazy shoplifting epidemic. We'll get into that and more straight ahead. Folks, don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program Tuesday night. If you want to give us a call and join our late-night national town hall conversation, call us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of things. <clears throat> Lamentably, this is a sad one, uh, this is reported by Fox 5 News out of Baltimore, there's an active shooter on the campus of Morgan State University in Baltimore. At least four people have been shot. It's uh, still being listed as an active shooter scenario as of 9.53 p.m. And I'll keep you up to speed on what we know. Uh, we don't know much at this time. And it just really kind of underscores the, the problem that we have with crime, right? There's a serious crime problem in our country. Earlier today, I was scrolling through one of the social media, I think it was Instagram, and I saw a video from DC Drano, and it was a video of uh, an activist, um, a left-wing activist, not really relevant to this story, but his name is Ryan Carson, 32 years old, and he leaves a wedding with his girlfriend, this was caught on video, and he's sitting on a bench, and they get up, they walk away, and then somebody passes by them, and that person kind of doubles back and comes at him, and I guess he's trying to rob him, or he says something stupid to him, and they get into a fight, and the guy just pulls out a knife and just starts slashing away, and it looks like he catches him in the neck from the video I saw. He either smacks him in the face or, or cut his neck. And moments later, you know, after the actual stabbing, he's on the floor, and he's, he appears to be unconscious, the girl seems distraught, shocked. Some are saying she didn't do enough. She doesn't call 911. She's holding a phone. Another passerby comes and says something. Then she, like, leans down on top of him, and, and he's dead. And uh, I'm sorry that that happened. This happened in Brooklyn, New York. And it, it just, again, crime. Everywhere you turn, there's crime. You've got even uh, crime where it's not violent crime, this massive shoplifting problem we have where, you know, stores, Nordstrom, Target, you name it, all these big stores are shuttering in so many big cities, mainly the cities that are run by Democrats that embrace these left-wing policies and have elected these what I call pro-crime progressive prosecutors that like to coddle criminals. And they let them do what they do. In some instances, they even lowered the threshold um, so that they don't get charged with felonies when they steal up to $950 worth of merchandise or whatever. We saw what we saw when we had our conversation with the police chief last week. The looting that was going on in Philadelphia for a couple of nights. I mean, it, it's, it seems to be the word is out and the criminals all know, hey, it's time to go shopping. This is how we do it. And they don't have a worry in the world. And it's, it's a horrible thing. And now there are TikTokers, right? It's like robbery 101. TikTokers are out there teaching people how to steal during this shoplifting epidemic. Crazy. It's like an online course in stealing. And I think this is absolute crazy. But I want to get to the bottom of it with the author of the book, 
Unshackled from Ruin to Redemption. Gene McGuire, welcome to the program, sir. Oh, thank you, Rich. What a privilege to be with you tonight. Oh, likewise, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, let, let's let's dig into this. I mean, we're, there's every day. There's no shortage of stories of people that are, you know, reporting one thing or another about crime in one way or another. We've seen all these stores uh, shut down. Um, what's your take on all of this? I, you know, first off, I think it's a character issue, not an economical or, or environmental. Um, right. I used to hear people say I'm a product of my environment in the prison where I was serving uh, nearly 35 years. And and I was well, like, let's talk it's, about it's, that it's, so it's, people know a little bit about, you know, your story, uh, because I yeah. think that's important. and It lends a lot of context here. Uh, give us a little bit on your background. I was a 17 year old, uh, went out drinking with an older 24 uh, year old cousin, a favorite cousin. And just going out drinking, it was something that was acceptable and in, in behavior back in 70, it happened in 77, 1977, and went to a, a local bar and 20 minutes into it, my cousin decides he wants to rob the bar. And I knew that's something I wouldn't have thought of or even done myself. But, you know, I, I stood by and, and I, I knew he was, I knew he was going to do it. I should have ran or I should have said no. But, uh, we left and a few minutes later, my cousin returned to the bar and he actually murdered the owner and which, um, I turned myself in a day, a day and a later, he turned himself in two weeks later and I was arrested and charged with murder and I received a life sentence without parole, uh, in well, Pennsylvania. He, he, yeah. Did you leave after he did or were you there when he did it? No, I, I, no, I stayed. I was outside. I was outside the bar waiting for him to come out with some money. And, oh, wow. uh, and, uh, thinking, you know, like television, he's got some money and take off and, um, you know, poor, poor decision on my part. And my cousin had no right to take a life and I had no right to be there. Um, and especially with my parents that I couldn't go that night. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I was so arrested. How did, you said you got a life sentence. Yeah. I received my, I had a public defender who told me if I, pled guilty to murder, um, early on, uh, that could be out in 10 years. So I pled guilty. And then, uh, the day before my 18th birthday, a judge sentenced me to life without parole. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to do 10 years. And, but that wasn't, obviously that was not the case. Rude awakening was when I got to the state prison and I started meeting other guys serving life. So I called attorney up and said, Hey, I, I want to go back to court and appeal my case. And he gave me a reason why not to it was this first homicide case. It was just a bad, bad situation, which I didn't know until years later. So I, uh, lost all my appellate rights. And then, uh, over the years was denied by the governor five times through a commutation process, which is clear mercy. And then, uh, in 2010, a new law came out about juveniles, uh, Graham versus Florida. It said that juveniles who did not kill, did not intend to kill and did not know should not be subject to life sentence. They should have a parole sentence. It didn't guarantee anybody being released. It just gave you a parolable um, sentence and because of your youth and all that. And then during that process of going back to court, they discovered my uh, public defender. He had lied to me. He led me into an illegal plea agreement, and I had an unconstitutional sentence. So the judge vacated my sentence, and in April of uh, 2012, I was released uh, free. Uh, to After go. how many years? 34 years, nine months, 15 days. Wow. 
So you were in prison for 34 years. You didn't know that your cousin was killing this guy, but you were there, and you knew he was robbing the place, and you did yeah. 34 years for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was so, that experience you know, like? Well, prison is it is it's violent, it's dysfunctional, it's it's uh, it's crowded, it's uh, um, at the best, you know, it's just total dysfunction, like I said. But you know, you make the best out of the bad situation. You know, you go through your fights and you go through all the craziness that goes in. And once you get established, then you know, for me, I was like, I, I want to get an education, and so I got a you know diploma and college and programs, programs, program, program. And then about 10 years into my sentence, I had a, a, a gentleman told me that um, God had a plan for my life. And he told me it was through Christ. And so I put my heart to and my faith to that word. And, and it really changed the course of my life and my value system and the way I treated people and the way I treated myself. And I just dug in and I became a student of the, you know, the Bible and the student of learning and uh, just developed a ministry within the prison system. So that carried all the way out what I'm doing today here in Dallas, Texas. Well, I want to hear more about that. And I want to hear about uh, your your take on this um, Robbery 101 on TikTok and these videos that are out there because that's kind of crazy. Folks, we're on with Gene McGuire. Uh, You've heard his story, quite a remarkable one. And he is uh, the author of Unshackled, From Ruin to Redemption. We're going to continue this conversation with him because uh, there's a lot to discuss. Uh, Gene, stick with us. Folks, if you want to give us a call, if you have a question, you want to chime in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion with Gene McGuire. Uh, He's the author of Unshackled from Ruin to Redemption. And Gene McGuire, you uh, left off telling us about the ministry you started in jail and how you're you're continuing that today. And uh, I also want to get your reaction to this TikTok video that teaches people how to steal so um, let's pick up where you left off. Okay, yeah. I Well, it, the way I live my life in the, in the prison is what I'm doing today. And I just, um, I always just love mentoring people and, you know, small groups, Bible studies, or uh, speaking now across the country and uh, just sharing the gospel as I did with, within the prison system. And it just, I guess I learned my craft, learned my trade while I was in there and uh, became a student of the Word, and so that's what I'm doing today. I work for a large um, restaurant uh, company, Christian family-owned restaurant company called Bay Chicken Dinner House here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area with 1,800 employees and and uh, 14 locations, and I'm in the restaurants uh, all day, throughout the day, uh, uh, each week, and, and just spending time um, praying for people, talking to people. You know, let, we have a lot of young kids working for us, and, and uh, we just, you know, just sharing with them how important they are to us and, and um, you know, what God's plans for their lives. And so uh, it's, it's an incredible opportunity that I have. I've been doing it for the past 10 years of, of 11 years I've been out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is, this is a, this is 
you know, I, like you, you said it really well that um, it's not exclusive for liberal cities or these, uh, you know, left wing um, run cities in their policies. It, it's, it's not exclusive, but it really is in the bigger cities where they pretty much changed the 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 definitions of of stealing and robbing. And they they say is borrowing or, you know, uh, it's, it's reparations or it's. You know, it's it belongs to us. We don't have enough, and it's just a lie. It is truly just a lie. So it's a character issue. Um, and I'm glad you, you mentioned know, that because you mentioned yeah. that earlier, and I wanted to to kind of unpack that a little bit because I agree sure. with that. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. I was born in Brooklyn. I live in Jersey now, and I don't care what law they pass. You know, my dad would have destroyed me if I did. My mother would have destroyed me if I was doing this type of thing, you know, sure. They would have said, you're acting like a savage, you know, and I'll treat you. Yeah. Like one. And, and I feel like it, whether it's tough love or not, you need that training at home. You, you need a society Absolutely. that embraces what's good and what, you know, and, and shuns what's bad. And when you have policy that kind of allows you to do this, it doesn't mean that you need to do it, right? It's ultimately a choice that ones make, and and I think it you is. said it best when you said it's character. Tell us about that. Well, uh, there's there's a real. So I, I like I said, I work around about 1,100, 1,200 young kids throughout the week, okay. and uh, you know they're really, really they're stellar. They they work hard. They go to school, school, college, but uh, you know there's there's always there's a few that have this entitlement mentality that somebody owes them. And I'm like, where did you learn that from? Uh, obviously their parents never taught them correctly. So it's not, it's not, it's, it's bad parenting skills. And uh, so you have a lot of, you know, people running or the around. Absence thinking of parents. Yeah. Or the absence of parents. Uh, yeah. Parents are abdicating their responsibility. And so that's, a, that's a big issue. The other thing I think is, you know, low self-esteem or peer pressure that, you know, these kids want something that they can't afford it. And they, they're just deciding they learned how to take it or steal it or, you know, sneak it out the door or change tags or whatever they're doing. Uh, the many different things they're doing, but, and then, you know, I, I don't know if it's everybody, but, you know, you have to admit that there's, there's, um, some people get a thrill out of a psychological high out of the, out of the going into a store and sneaking something or, stealing or, you know, doing bad things, right? A lot of people enjoy doing bad things. Yeah. Doing bad things. And I think there's, there's, there's something to be said, you know, it it may release a dopamine in in your system and it feels good. And Mm -hmm. so you want to go back and do it again and again. Um, But I, yeah, I think my, my issue has always been, you know, home life, good parenting, mentorship, uh, somebody stand up and saying, Hey, it's wrong. It is not right. Do not tolerate it. And I think, uh, I think we're on track when we choose not to tolerate, uh, the stealing, the, the robbing, the, the robbing and, uh, you know, the, 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 the group run into stores and they do it in the yeah, CVSs. They do it. Yeah. The mob, uh, kind of smash and go, uh, gang mentality. And, uh, it's just, someone has to continue, uh, day in and day out and say, Hey, this is wrong. Uh, we're that's, not your, that's your job, it. right? I think someone needs to stop them, but we do need yeah. people to tell them that it's wrong too. I think it's it's a multi pronged approach. Gene McGuire, before we run out of time, I'm curious about what what happened with your cousin. He is still incarcerated. He has uh, chose a different route, uh, uh, you know, lifestyle. He's been a 
uh, a problematic person uh, in the system for over many, many years. Um, because he's not going so, anywhere, so he figured no, get in where I no. found him. Yeah, so he is, yeah, he is, uh, uh, I would say he's a mess, but um, he... Are you still in touch? Uh, no, no longer, no. Just uh, um, his family, his family, obviously, they were like, hey, we we don't want him to interfere with your life. You go and live your life, and he's done enough damage, and so... That's I'm not in touch with him at all. Yeah. Gene McGuire, let everybody know how they can get a copy of your book. Well, you can get it by going to genemaguire.org. It's on my website. Uh, there's a paperback on Amazon, which we turned it into paperback so we can get it into the prison systems. And uh, so if you have somebody in the, you know, that you want to send a book, uh, paperback is usually the best way. They don't like the hardback. So you can go on Amazon and you can get it on Amazon or my website, genemaguire.org. All right, everybody, check him out at genemaguire.org. And Gene McGuire, before we wrap, what's your, you know, I guess one or two sentences on uh, your message to, to parents and young people that that are, you know, facing this type of thing? You know, I, I feel like there's, it has to be the absence of parents because I can't imagine any parent going, yeah, go ahead, go out there and do what you want. But I'm right. sure that is happening. Uh, you know, I guess I live a sheltered life, I guess. I just, I've never seen anything like this, you know, where you have looting when you don't even have a riot, right? People are just looting for the heck of it. And yeah. what, what do you say to them? Well, if you're listening, I would say if, whether you have children or not, spend time with them, you know, really, you know, people may, may laugh about it, but hug them, tell them they're, they're important you know, express love to them. Tell them, tell them that, you know, that they're, there's, they were designed for uh, a greatness. They were designed for something more than what they are seeing out there today and people stealing and using drugs or, you know, drinking, and which is a big problem too. That's a whole nother subject, but um, just involve yourself and invest yourself in, in these young kids. Um, and I, you know, I go into where I go to work and I just, I simply say, Hey, you know, God loves you. And I see their eyes light up like, you know, and, and then I get to talk to them and I want them to know that we care about them. Outstanding. Gene McGuire, I want to thank you for being with us. Godspeed to you and everything that you're doing. I appreciate it, sir. Oh, thank you, Rich, for your time. You bet. God bless. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about that, the absence of parents. What's going on with dads? How do you become a high-value dad? We're going to talk about that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And it, we're talking about the importance of fathers in the home uh, as well as the value of what a high-value dad is. And our guest is Jason Howerton. He's the founder of High Value Dad. Jason Howerton, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. It's weird. I usually say good morning or good afternoon, but it, I guess it's good, good night. Um, but <laughs> good I appreciate evening. you having me on, man. Yes, sir. Now, I want to talk about this because this is a pretty interesting thing. Um, you know, I think so many of us, 
um, are oftentimes talking about masculinity in our culture and what happened to fathers. We've got presidential candidates out there like Larry Elder saying, you know, one of the biggest problems America's facing is not having dads in the home. And then there are dads in the home sometimes. And I, I like what you're talking about uh, in becoming a high value dad. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I I started a, a group. I mean, essentially what it is, is it's a community for uh, for men and dads um, who really, you know, want to be more than what is has kind of become, I think, what the caricature of of the, you know, the American dad or whatever, whatever you would, you would think of. Um, and, and to be a, a more elevated version of that in not just as a leader in your family, but as a husband, as, uh, you know, b- business leaders starting your own companies, really just being that, that elevated version of, of what a father can and should be, uh, in the home. And so, I mean, really it, it came out of my own journey, of having two, I have two young boys, uh, one's three, one's five right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, having to teach myself a lot of things that I didn't learn that society didn't teach me and really unprogram, unlearn a lot of things that I was taught and was, was told things that I was told that were normal, that are, that I do not believe are normal or that should like be normal. Um, I, I mean, a big one I would say is, the young boys from a very early age are taught that it's normal and boys will be boys to, to constantly be seeking pleasure over purpose. And so rather than, than getting their minds focused on, on their goals and their, their, who they want to be and, and thinking about marriage, we have boys who are from a very young age addicted to pornography there, you know, you you have drugs, you have even not even, uh, you know, uh, uh, cocaine or or things like that, but even just Adderall, some of these pills that these kids uh, get on immediately. Um, and so the, I I think that's the big one is like constant pleasure seeking becomes almost like their driving force, whether that's porn or sex or whatever it may be for, for these young men. Um, and they don't have a good outlet to, to really funnel that energy into. And so they get into these cycles and I met a lot of them. A lot of met a lot of grown men, a lot of young men who, who fall into these cycles. And I remember when I was a kid, I was a teenager and, you know, it was like, it was just like, yeah, you know, boys do this or boys do that. It's, it's a normal thing. And I'm like, you know, that's not normal to me. And it's not going to be normal for my sons. Like that's not the standard that I'm going to hold my sense to that, like, you know, boys will be boys kind of a thing holding. I think boys are okay to be held to a higher standard. And I think that's kind of a huge part of the problem. Let's talk about dad guilt. I know you guys write about this on your website. Tell us about it. Um, I mean, I think for me, I'll define what dad guilt means to me. And it's that for for high value dads, people who want to be present for their kids and want to um, be present for their wives and who also have really big ambitions to have their own businesses, they're running their own companies and, and just have a million things going on. It, there's like, there's never enough of you really to go around at any point. Um, either somebody's always getting the short end of the stick, either your business or your kids or your wife. Um, and so I, I, I'm constantly dealing with that, um, that, balancing act 
of not dropping balls one way or another. And so um, kind of the solution, it, 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 the article you're referring to, the solution that I kind of came up with and, and that I help, I help a lot of men kind of formulate is you have to be so hyper intentional with your time and your schedule. You have to almost map it out. If, if you want to be top 1% in all of those things, business, fatherhood, uh, in your marriage, you really have to be so intentional with your time because you don't have enough of it. So, you know, mapping out what your ideal day looks like and then keeping your promise to yourself that that is what your day looks like. And if you say you're going to do it, if you say you're going to work out at 6 a.m. or you say you're going to have family time or family dinner at 5.30 p.m., you better do it and respect yourself enough to keep those promises to yourself. What do you think is the number one issue facing fathers today? Ooh, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I would say the biggest one is not having the, the, not having been given the education or the resources, whether from your own, you know, your own, how you were raised or just not, not having access to the actual information of things like child development, um, and, and how to properly raise exceptional children. I think we, we don't have, and I'm, I'm actually married to a, um, a, a PhD level, um, counselor who specializes in child development and she does counseling with children. So I have a really, yeah, I have a very unfair advantage, but I, I say this because it, it really, until she started showing me data and, and all these things that she's you know spent her life kind of learning until she showed me those things, I was in complete ignorance. And, and a lot of the things that I thought the way I would raise my sons have been the exact opposite. Um, things like spanking or, or um, understanding the impact of yelling, um, understanding what what discipline versus shame looks like, like just these minor things that I think just the average person doesn't really have access to that information. But if given that information, I think it would make a really big impact. So I think honestly, it's like parents, the, one of the biggest things is, is knowing what to do. And then second, I would say, man, raising kids in this culture today, um, especially if, if you're raising like a, like I am of a, of a faith, centered house um that to me that's like probably the toughest thing and it's going to only get tougher and it it results in some isolation and and it really tests you when when you're kind of put on the spot uh and and made to believe that you're raising your children wrong because you have maybe beliefs that are no longer considered by the powers that be that are that are you know mainstream or or whatever you want to call it but um that's referring to the powers that be as society and culture today Culture, um, you know, co- corporate America, uh, you know, p- people in positions of power. Yeah, it's certainly not like a cool thing to be a married Christian white dad raising two white Christian sons. Like, I, I get it. Like, that's about as uncool as it gets to those people. Um, and so it, it kind of requires you to to really have your your convictions rooted so that you don't kind of succumb to, to some of those outside pressures. Excellent points. Folks, we're discussing the importance of fatherhood and how to become a high-value dad. And our guest is Jason Howerton. He's the founder of High Value Dad. 
You should check out their website, highvaluedad.com. We're going to continue this conversation with Jason Howard and straight ahead. And of course, if you want to chime in, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. you several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Jason Howerton. He's the founder of HighValueDad.com, and you should definitely subscribe to their newsletter. Now, Jason Howerton, there's a, a council that was created by the Illinois State Legislature um, called the Illinois Council on Responsible Fatherhood. And uh, not too long ago, like last week, uh, one of the, uh, the the heads of the organization uh, s- was spouting out some statistics. And a, a lot of interesting things here. Um, some of the things that they pointed out is that children who've grown up in fatherless homes are more likely to have educational issues, they're more likely to have psychological problems, and the absence of a father impacts a child's life in in a really big way, a very critical way, noting that 40% of children in, in the region uh, in Chicago are born out of wedlock. And I think that's a, that's a problem because it leads to social issues like poverty and violence and many of the other things that you discussed. And I feel like, you know, there's great work that you're doing to help dads become better dads. But there's a, a huge problem of dads just not being around. How do how do we address that? Yeah, um, yeah, it's crazy. In fact, if you look at if you look at it's not just crime. You know, it's it's crime. It's mental health. It's poverty. It's really any any negative outcome you can think of in life is drastically increased your your probability for it if you grow up in a house without a father. Like that's how important having fathers in the home are. It's actually terrifying. You can even track, I mean, you can look at even different racial groups and as, as the, the, the rate of fatherlessness goes up, all those risk factors go up. It's just crazy to me how, how just incredibly impactful not having a father in the house can be, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, I think, in, in fact, that's like part of our tagline is like enough present strong fathers can change the world. I, I truly believe that. I think if if we if we found a way to add ten percent more fathers into fatherless homes, I think the impact would be almost un, uncalculable, just because of how important it is. So, you know, part of it is you know is breaking cycles, and that's part of what we're doing. Like, the more dads you have raising strong children, that's going to change the way they raise their children. It's going to change the way they raise their children. So we're kind of in a, a, like a generational battle right now. I don't think there's, there's any easy fix 
to solve the fatherlessness epidemic overnight. But I do know generationally huge progress can be made just by raising up more boys to be strong men. And like, there's also people like Deion Sanders is a great example of this. A lot of, he's the coach of the, of the Colorado football team. And a lot of those players, you know, one of them had, I know he had a player who had a, his father was, was in jail. I know some of those players don't have fathers, you know, didn't grow up with that, with fathers and people like Deion Sanders standing in the gap. This, this is what I call it. I say, we, we have to stand in the gap of where the father should be. If we, if we must, right. If the father has chosen not to be there, it's our then duty as men to stand in the gap where those fathers should be. And so people like Dan Sanders who are, who are standing in that gap, I think also makes a huge impact. But, but like I said, this is a, this is a generational battle. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to make my sons, you know, prepared to continue that battle, you know, when, when they're grown men, but I know nothing's going to happen overnight. You mentioned raising strong children. Uh, and I think we all want our children to be strong, but in particular, um, what, what, What's your definition of raising a strong child? Um, children who are prepared to get punched in the face because they will, and then get up without looking to you to save them. I think that's the definition of, of a of a strong child, and I think it's the hardest thing to do as as a parent because I Lord knows I know the, letting them struggle is like the worst it's the worst. It does. It feels so terrible. And, and everything in you, all of your instincts are, are telling you to rescue them from discomfort. But I think that honestly has gotten us into a lot of the trouble we find ourselves into with, with culture today is not allowing kids to struggle, to fail, to fall, um, you know, helping them up, you know, something as simple as like a child who is, you know, who's learning to walk, letting them pick themselves up. I mean, it starts that young. I mean, that's a kind of a silly example, but as they as they grow um, and and they go out on their own and and they need to test boundaries and they need right. to try new things, letting them fail and then teaching them the le- letting them learn the lessons that failure teaches us, um, I think it makes for some, some very strong children. Folks, we're on with Jason Howerton. He's the founder of HighValueDad.com. Make sure you check out their website, subscribe to their newsletter, and uh, we're going to wrap with him when we come back. And we're going to find out exactly how he got into this business because it seems like a tough one. Jason Howard and stick with us, folks. We're coming right back. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. That's Valdez with an S. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Of course, Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the next hour. We're talking about all of the news that we've discussed today. And, of course, we're talking about fatherhood right now with Jason Howerton. 
And Jason, tell everybody how you got involved in this and how they can keep up to speed with the work that you're doing. One minute to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is actually, you know, I have a business that I run that is provided for my family. This high value dad, I started as my, my mission, my passion, passion, you know, that I'm, that I'm following. So this is really, um, becoming more of my focus. And it really is just about bringing dads together in a community where people can, you know, connect network, be, you know, really uh, help elevate each other. And so what I would say is if, if you're a dad, if you're an expectant dad, um, if you have just any aspirations to be a dad and want to know mm-hmm. more about what it, what it requires as a man to, to develop those skills and to get in the right direction, go to highvaluedad.com, subscribe to the newsletter, follow us on X, follow us on Facebook, um, get involved. We're also, uh, real quick, hosting a retreat uh, in October, October 19th in Breckenridge, Colorado. Guys, some dads are coming down to get trained by uh, elite Navy SEALs, special operations guys, cool. really, really sharp guys. Um, and so it's going to be a good time. Folks, Jason Howerton, highvaluedad.com. Brother, I want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate the insight. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. God bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, folks, we continue our conversation with you, all of the listeners across America. If you never called in, now's your chance. Get those calls in now. Open Phone America starts right now. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and um, welcome, right? Uh, Tuesday night edition. I said this earlier, but I feel like I've been following the news all day. So many big stories that are out there today. We're going to get to all of them. We talked about President uh, Trump being issued a gag order in his civil case. We've talked about Kevin McCarthy being vacated as speaker. Uh that that was a, a shocker, right? I, I mean, they talked about it. I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. There was all this talk about we don't have the votes. We don't know. We'll keep going. Even Matt Gates was saying, look, I'll try. I'll try again. First shot, boom, was the charm. No more McCarthy. And he says he's not running. Uh, we've talked about crime, how they're teaching people to become shoplifters on TikTok. And we've talked about why crime is so crazy, because there's a lack of fathers in the home. And uh, I'm interested in speaking with you guys about all of it. I want to jump into some of the calls because there's a lot on hold and we've got calls from Ohio and Illinois and New York, Nevada, Maryland, South Carolina, and more coming in. So 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's start off with Noah, Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Noah, go right, right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Good evening, Rich. I just want to say how refreshing it was to uh, turn you on tonight on my drive home from work and hear Jason talking about fatherhood. 
Um, I'm part of a fatherhood program here in Ohio. And um, what he was saying was spot on. Like the lack of fathers is scary. Uh, This, he was talking about how it's just like a cycle that when dad's not in the home, uh, how how at risk these uh, young men and women are. Um, And like he said, we're not going to change it overnight, but if we can change the outcome for one kid, then maybe we changed it for a generation in that family. And it's just so nice hearing, hearing things like that, Uh, hearing that maybe we are on the right path of doing what we're doing. And I'm definitely going to try to, uh, follow his newsletter because uh, we're actually affiliated with the National Fatherhood uh, Commission. Uh, and that was started by Tony Dungy and some other fellows. Uh, isn't he terrific? Tony Dungy's great. Uh, great coach, great patriot, and, and really just a solid guy. And uh, great job, Noah. I, I think everybody needs to do their part some way, somehow, right? This isn't a political issue. This is a societal issue, and it affects everybody. So kudos to you, and thanks for tuning in. I appreciate your listenership. Thanks for the call. Call in anytime. I appreciate it. W-H-I-Z in the building, Zanesville, Ohio. And let us continue. <clears throat> Let's go to Abrams. Syracuse, New York, W-A-U-B. Abrams, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? How you doing, Rich? Um, Good, thank you. Uh, going off, going off of what uh, that guy just said, kind of talking about fatherhood and like kind of masculinity and such line. Um, I kind of want to speak about like a familial structure personally. Like for me, I, I want to get your thoughts on like in the household. Like, do you think the man should be number one and woman should be number two? Because I feel like in my house we, we have two kids, uh, Jay and one of them, and. Uh, we have um, the like me and my wife are kind of equal, or she's sometimes like even a little bit more than me. Because let's say, I would say I'm, a, I'm like I'm around like five six one forty, mm-hmm. and she's like a much bigger kind of burlier woman, like more of a defender in the house. And I just wanted to your yeah, thoughts like her being that. the kind of protector and like having having like equal power per se. Well, you know, this is an interesting dynamic. Um, and again, I don't know how qualified I am. I, I, I'm divorced. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I think that, you know, the there's a saying that says, you know, the husband is the head and the wife is the neck. I think you have to work together, especially when it comes to parenting. You have to do that when it comes to running the house. But ultimately, I believe that I believe in gender roles. I think that men need to be men. Of course, women are moms and you have a mom and she's got kids, she will go mama bear and protect her kids. And ultimately you have to come to this understanding. I think most women, and we've talked about this with a couple of psychologists on this program, would love to always operate in their most feminine form. They oftentimes may not because they feel that either there's the absence of a partner or that their partner isn't carrying their weight in that department. And, and this causes drama for, for some couples. And, and it's an interesting thing because, you know, you might have a guy that's complaining, say, oh, my wife, is she's really, she's always involved in everything and, you know, doesn't let me do anything. And, and I think, you know, what I would say to somebody like that is, well, you know, what are you doing? 
right? Because ultimately, it's, it's, it's a whole world of psychology, I think, in my opinion. You have to understand the, the needs of the woman. And again, I was married for, for 10 years, dated her for like six or seven years before that, and, and have two daughters that are growing and somewhat grown, 18 and 22. And I can tell you, as a man, oftentimes when someone comes to you, you're, you almost can't resist fixing the problem because oftentimes we're wired as fixers. So, you know, if, um, my daughter or my ex-wife back when we were married would come to me with an issue. My thinking was, all right, here, here, this is how you fix it. But oftentimes women don't typically come to you looking for a fix. They're looking for an ear. They want to be heard. And when they don't feel heard, they feel like they have to do everything. And and I think that's a, a, a very common a very common issue that people run into in, in marriages and relationships. And I think if if each of the people, the, the man and the woman, are both attuned to what the other needs, you have harmony as often as you can have it. You know, so for example, I think women, uh, they want to feel loved, they want to feel respected, they want to feel um, feminine, they want to be treated as such, right? Treat them like a queen. Men want to be respected. They want to feel like, hey, no, you're, you got this, you're the man here. And when you have either one of those scenarios where they're not happening, you're going to have somebody dipping into one or the other. You might have a, a dad that becomes way more of the nurturer of the children. And that's great. Dads should be nurturers. Um, and a mom who's a disciplinarian, or you might have the roles reversed. And, and I think there's no perfect answer here, right? You're going to have one or the other either way. But you have to have, I think, one of the hardest things to do is to have very clear and constant communication in a relationship. Very difficult. But that's the answer. The answer is to communicate those things to say, Hey, look, you know, um, you want your kid to find security in both parents. And if that's the role that works in your household, super, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think in many situations, women want to do what, what they're doing. They want to do their job, whatever their job is. And if they have a job outside the home, great. They want to be able to do what they do inside the home, but they don't want to do it alone. No woman out there wants to feel like a single mother and no guy out there wants to feel like the nanny, right? They, 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 you, you have to kind of establish these roles so that they make sense and they make sense for each of you and for your kids so that there's balance and there's a lot of uh, stable continuity for the kid. This is very important. And I've seen it again with my own kids. When any of those roles are reversed or when you have uh, turmoil or conflict, it, it creates a, a situation where children are not like, well, what do we do? Who do we listen to? What's going on here? You know, do we go to the mean parent or the, the nice parent, the soft parent or the tough disciplinary parent, right? Because kids aren't, aren't foolish. They know exactly what to do. And that's why this communication between the parents is so important. And I think ultimately it comes down to knowing how to express what you want from the other person. Ultimately saying, hey, look, I would like this to be this way, this way, and this way. What are your thoughts? And then you have that discussion. And sometimes those types of discussions can be uncomfortable. They really can. Uh, but I think it, it takes a degree of tact and some practice. I, I'm, I'm not good at them now, and I was horrible at them before. So I've, I've had some improvement. But I can tell you it's a difficult thing. But once you learn how to do it and you're able to say, you know, earlier you said something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I don't know if you meant it in the wrong way, but I want you to consider my perspective. When I tell so-and-so to, to sit down and eat their food and you go, look, just give me two more bites and you're good, we're sending a conflicting message and, and that type of thing. And again, I'm not saying that's an issue in your household. I'm saying just in general. Uh, but I think 
from the women that I've met, the ones that I know, my mom was a very tough lady. And my dad was a very tough guy. And I oftentimes look at some of their conflict and think if my mom would have eased up a bit and let him do, and, and he did, it was no letting him or not letting him. He was a very just tough, old school Puerto Rican guy. Uh, but she was very tough. And, and uh, she took on, I think, too much sometimes and it stressed her out and put her in a, in a tough spot where she just felt like she needed to be tough all the time. And I think the ultimate role of a man is to alleviate that burden so that women can feel beautiful and feminine and pretty and, and act and feel like a queen, even though the, the grind of child rearing and being married is a grind and it's a tough one. But that's our job as men to, to do that, to be that effective listener when they need to be listened to and to be that effective fixer when they need something fixed. And more often than not, they don't want you to fix it unless they say, hey, I want you to fix this. If they come with a problem, it's usually, you know, something that they want to vent and they want you to hear and they want to feel heard and they want to feel supported and know that they're appreciated because those are really important for women. From what I know, again, you're talking to a guy that's divorced, but I hope that made sense, Abrams. That, that does that does make a lot of sense. I appreciate that. I take no disrespect. And I, I do. I, I, I think you're a smart guy and I appreciate the advice. I would like to ask though, like for my situation, though, a big part of my issue is like the size disparity between me and my wife. Like, what do you like on, on sort of that? Like mentally, is that just something I'll have to just get over with? Or like, do you think that's that's just something I'm going to have to like part ways with mentally? Or like, what do you, you Yeah, I do. Totally. Yeah, I think that is something you have to part ways with mentally. And that's not easy. It's easier said than done, right? There are things that will happen in, in these types of dynamics, whether it's uh, she's taller than you or whatever it is, whatever it is. It could be a million different things that are, in reality, that's insignificant, right? It doesn't really matter if your wife is taller than you. Uh, it really doesn't. What matters is what job you do, what you're bringing to the table, the man that you're being. And, and ultimately, and I'm speaking from my own experience, when, when I've had a hang-up on something that I know is insignificant, but I still can't let it go, you have to have a conversation with yourself. And those are the hardest ones to have because you have to sit there and go, what am I willing to lose for this, for this thing? How significant is this issue to me? Sometimes we can make that, that issue incredibly significant in our own mind and without thinking of the consequences and, and the downfall and, and what it really comes down to. Ultimately, I think when your children are young, they need their parents. When your children are older, they need their parents, right? So they need their parents. So you, you, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you say, you know what? God made me this height. God made her that height. I still have my job to do as a man. I can tell you, my dad was not a tall guy, but he was tough and he was the man of the house. And my mother fulfilled that role when he was out and doing whatever he was doing. Um, and there was conflict sometimes because I think sometimes we were both fighting over, you know, who the king of the castle was. But ultimately, I think that it's that conversation about clarifying who's doing what, how are we doing it, how am I supporting you, how am I being here for you. And once you, once you hit that harmony with doing things, I think you'll find out that your size is, is, is irrelevant. You know, I, I'm not that much taller than you, and I don't really care. I don't typically date taller women just because, but um, I, I can for sure tell you, you know, you, you just have to have that that um, that conversation with yourself. And I, f I think find that comfort within yourself to be honest without tearing someone else down and just saying, you know, this is something that bothers me. Uh, you, you can't go to your wife and say, hey, it bothers me that you're taller than me. So I think there's more to it than that. But you figure out what that more to it is. And then you'll you'll be golden after that. 
But to me, it sounds like it's it's you're splitting hairs here, and it, it's it's a problem you don't need. And sometimes you just got to choose your battles. And this doesn't sound like one a hill you want to die on. It sounds like you've got a good thing going, and you can begin to work with it. And I think if you adjust the pattern and say, look, you know, you don't have to have every conversation. Sometimes all you got to do is show them, show them that you're you're doing what you what you need to do and carrying the weight that you need to carry, alleviating their burden so that they can look at you as the man that you are. That's the best that I've got. Abrams, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And big shout out to you in Syracuse and everybody on WAUB. Folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Lots to discuss. President Trump was hit with a gag order. Uh, the New York judge has now limited uh, what he can say about his posts that he put on his social media website, Truth Social. Uh, the judge imposed this limited gag order after former President Trump posted about a key court staffer in his uh, civil business trial. Judge Arthur Engeron issued the order which applies to all parties in the case and pertains only to verbal attacks on court staff. It came after Trump recirculated a disparaging social media post about Ergeron's principal law clerk, Allison Greenfield. Without naming Trump, Ergeron said, Engeron, excuse me, said that the defendant in the case posted to social media a disparaging, untrue, and personally identifying post about a member of my staff. He added that personal attacks on members of my court staff are unacceptable, not appropriate, and not tolerated. So Trump had already deleted the post, and Geron said he ordered it gone. The, the post included a photo of Greenfield with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer at a campaign event. Trump uh, is, of course, um, running for president, and he's had lots to say about the judge, about Letitia James, the AG that brought the case, he also commented on the clerk saying that she should not be allowed to be in his ear on every single question because she hates Trump. And, of course, the gag order came right after that. So that's what's going on in Trump world, and I, I can't help but laugh at that stuff. Anyway, we're going to continue with your questions on Trump, on McCarthy, on everything that we're talking about. seems like we've forgotten that Joe El Baboso Biden was... Um, we had that impeachment hearing on Thursday. There's no news about that. Hunter Biden has pled guilty. I mean, not guilty, excuse me. He says he's innocent of the federal gun charge. We'll talk about that as well. And I want to get to your calls. So let's continue. Uh, let's go to uh, Chris Reno, Nevada, K-F-O-Y. Chris, go right ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. First time listener, first time caller. Thank you, sir. Um, I appreciate uh this time. Um, 
it seems like we have to crack the egg and we need to scramble some things on Capitol Hill. Um, yeah. I'm more uh, conservative uh, in general. I'm not so much a Republican, but um, uh, it's kind of unnerving to be in this space right now. And curious to see your thoughts on what the next steps might entail with regard to crack of the egg. Yeah, I got you. You got you to break a few eggs to, to make the omelet, right? As the saying goes, Chris, thank you for the call. I'm going to respond to you on the other side of the break. The music means they're kicking me out. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. What does happen next when um, we resume? Do we get a speaker and when? Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Kevin McCarthy went down today is because nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy has made multiple contradictory promises, and when they all came due, he lost he lost votes of people who maybe don't even ideologically agree with me on everything. All right, that's Congressman Matt Gates, who I like, uh, but I got to say, in, in this particular clip that we have, saying that McCarthy's out because even people that don't ideologically agree with him. I didn't like that he didn't keep promises. Let's examine that for just a second. The people that don't agree ideology ideologically are the, uh, was it 208 Democrats and eight Republicans? Eight Republicans and 208 Democrats, right? It's 216, I think, the, the final tally there. Um, they didn't care about the promises he kept. They just wanted to, to see a Republican burn. It was the eight Republicans that were upset about the promises that were kept. So to say that the Democrats ousted McCarthy because of some reason other than they just wanted to roast a Republican, I think it's kind of it's kind of silly, personally. And I've invited Tim Gates on the program. He was not available. We've invited uh, a number of people, and and they they have you know they just don't make it on sometimes, but. Looking at this situation, um, I appreciate what Matt Gates did in terms of bringing these issues to the forefront. I think it's important to talk about the budget. It's important to talk about spending. But ultimately, getting rid of the speaker, who, in my opinion, was able to coalesce in all these different camps, the moderates, the, the conservatives, the Democrats, and the White House, I think McCarthy was, was skillful in that area. Uh, I don't know that we actually now have a better situation. Right. I don't think so. Um, we'll see. We'll see if now the next speaker who comes in will be a lot more uh, hardliner and say, you know, what, I'm, I'm not going to get gaveled out of this thing. I'm not going to get uh, uh, vacated. So I'm going to do what I got to do. Uh, the question becomes, then you're going to have the pushback from the other side, which is always there. And it, it's a dance. Right. It's, it's a give and a take, in my opinion. I don't think it's always a take and I don't think it's always a give. Right. Push and shove, push and shove. That's kind of how this thing works. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Let's go to San Francisco. Listening to Rich Valdez, America at night dot com. Let's check in with David. David, go right ahead. 
Uh, yeah, how are you, Rich? Um, Wonderful. Yeah, Thank I you. basically, I basically disagree with you on uh, the motivations of uh, of um, McCarthy and uh, Gates. Uh, as you might be aware, uh, a number of months ago, the Saudi Arabians decided that they no longer want to use the U.S. dollar as the medium of exchange for selling oil. Mm-hmm. So they'd rather use. Putin. Uh, they'd rather use uh, India. They'd rather use Chinese money uh, than use the U.S. dollar. And ever since, uh, the Republicans have been doing their damnedest to ruin America's credit rating. Uh, they've not put together a budget. You know, the House of Representatives, it says right in the Constitution that all of the budgets for the United States government are supposed to come from the House of Representatives. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy. True. Gates and none of them have put together a budget to this day. And they, in the middle of the hurricane ripping through. I just want to uh, add a little context to that. It's not just Kevin McCarthy and this is not giving him a pass. I agree with you. We haven't had a budget, I think in a dozen or 25 years, we've passed one continuing resolution with an annual omnibus at the end of the year to continue our spending. And we just did it again to avoid a shutdown. And now we have 45 days. It brings us to November and we're going to do it all again. The looming government shut down in November and then we'll do it again because they have totally abdicated their role. Everybody in, in Congress has abdicated their role to deliver a budget. So, yeah, they can hang that on McCarthy uh, and guilty as charged, but they can also hang it on Pelosi and every last speaker that we've had because it hasn't happened in forever. So when I look at that, uh, 96, right? That was the last one. Newt Gingrich passed that last budget that was passed. So to, to put it on McCarthy, I think is a little bit unfair, David. Well, again, uh, the Pelosi put together budgets. Uh, there have been budgets since Newt Gingrich did his contract no, there has not. in America. Yeah, there have been. No, but there has the, not. The reality, the reality well, is... Well, the reality is we haven't yeah. passed a budget in a million years in our country. Oh, you could check that out and give me a call back if you'd like. The con- the Kevin McCarthy in late July decided to go on a 53-day vacation as the hurricane was ripping through Florida and into Georgia and uh, the Carolinas. Yeah. So there were EPA. I'm not going to defend uh, his vacation time. I mean, listen, I I don't know what a, the Speaker of the House has to do with a with a hurricane, but I understand you know there's voting on appropriations and things like that. And stuff like that, go right ahead. I mean, if, if, if you think that's um, the, the hill to die on where you have to oust him as speaker, go right ahead. I mean, it's done already. I just, I don't see the benefit for Republicans in the long run. I hope I'm proven wrong and we have a, a phenomenal speaker to come that's going to do what they want. And because I support what they're looking for. I support spending less money. I support single issue resolutions as opposed to putting them all together because that's how you eliminate pork. I support a lot of the things they're calling for. I just don't know if uh, the the remedy is is worth than is, is I think the remedy seems to me worse than the actual disease. And and I think that's where we're at. But, you know, that's where we are. McCarthy's not there. Uh, Patrick McHenry is is the interim speaker. And I don't know who, who it's going to be in the long run. Uh, maybe a Jim Jordan. I think there's a lot of people that are supporting Jim Jordan. That might happen. <clears throat> Ultimately, we're going to have to wait and see. But I, I think it's it's interesting that, you know, so many of the names that you hear about that are conservative 
uh, hardliners in in the United States House of Representatives, uh, Byron Donalds, Paul Gosar, many others, um, they did not vote against McCarthy. So I think there's going to be um, issues here. I think there's going to be some Republicans that are going to come after Gates. And we'll see. I could be wrong in my speculation. But it seems that that's going to be the case. And I agree with you that we haven't had a budget put together. I disagree with you in that we've had one. We haven't passed a budget from the House of Representatives in a very long time. And I agree with you. We need to. But to put it squarely on the Republicans or, or McCarthy is farcical. It's it's clearly not them. It's them right now. But it was Pelosi before that and, and whomever before that and Boehner and Ryan and everybody else who's been in that position and hasn't done anything because it's easier to pass a continuing resolution. That's what they do. And, and that's what makes uh, that's what makes this so problematic, David. FEMA rescue money has been needed ever since they decided to go on vacation. They didn't want to add it to it. So basically, the Republicans have told the people of Georgia, people of Florida that got decimated by those hurricanes, screw you, there's no money for you. No, I think that's a little off, too. Uh, I think they're they're always going to get the, the funds that they need. And FEMA has an operating budget. So it's not like FEMA ran out of money and went bankrupt. They're FEMA. So that there's money allocated for these things on a regular basis if you need more. And that's part of the problem. We we start coming with these issues saying, oh, we need more. We need more. We need this. We need more for Ukraine. We need more for this. We need more for that. And even though there's already money budgeted for it. And then you start to add things in. This is going to be for infrastructure. This is going to be for this. This is going to be for education in the areas of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they start adding everything in these bills to enrich themselves. And that's how the political deal-making process works. And that's exactly why you, me, and everybody listening pay the price because we're the ones footing the bill. David, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to San Francisco and everybody listening online streaming. Folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. To the phones we go. Let's go to Catherine Rolla, Missouri, KTTR. Catherine, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi. I wanted to talk about daddy's being at home. Go right ahead. What do you think? Daddy was a bootlegger. Run his business with a steno tablet and a telephone and um, his seat at the breakfast room table. Um, he was home all day, all night. Um, us kids just accepted. We had two parents in the house. Um, thought everybody did. Right. Um, it's the importance kids, of having a, a two-parent home. I think there's a lot of benefit of that. You know, you get, you get again, the, you get the, the nurture, you get the discipline, you get every angle when you have both parents involved and it's always ideal. And of course, when you don't, we're seeing the repercussions of that right now. We have um, high divorce rates. We have a very high um, rate of children born out of wedlock. And, and it doesn't seem to be good. The statistics are not in their favor. It's not like 
you might know some people and say, oh, you know, my friend has a, been a single parent for a long time and their kid's fantastic. Yes, but the statistics say that most of these kids or whatever, 40% of them uh, end up with, in crime and whatnot. And it's very unfortunate. It's a, it's a horrible statistic to hear, but it's the reality. And I think you're right. There's, there's a real importance of having daddies in the home. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate your call. Let's go to Jerome. Jerome's one of our favorite critics on the program. Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Jerome, go right ahead. Oh, my God. Please Hmm. don't tell me this happened. 15 votes, okay? 15 votes, and now he's gone. That he is. 15 votes. He's gone, and we don't even know who the replacement's going to be. But I'll tell you this. If you get Jim Jordan, I say, watch out. He's going to be uh, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know if he's going to do it. He didn't want to do it the last go round, but that could be a possibility. Jerome, uh, Speaker Jim Jordan, I think you, you wouldn't be as happy to hear that, would you? I don't want him. I want Matt Gates <laughs> or Byron Donald. That's what oh. I want. Or maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene. Put her up there. <laughs> you know. Likes to wear the fur and yell, "You're a liar! You're a liar!" <laughs> yeah, we need more decorum in the Senate. We need more decorum. Yeah, put her up there too. Yeah, those are my my three favorites. Fifteen votes, man, and you're surprised. Which I gotta have a talk to you. I but no, I'm surprised you. that it happened so quickly. Not surprised that they did it. Uh, I, I I thought that this would be a little bit more drawn out. I didn't think they'd have one vote, one and done. So, yeah, I was I was surprised at that. Um, I'm with you. I, I like Byron Donald. I think he'd be a good speaker. I like Jim Jordan. I think he'd be a good speaker. I think there's a lot of great candidates out there that would be a good speaker. So uh, I guess even though you're tongue-in-cheek, I think uh, we're on the same page. Jerome, thanks for the call, brother. Big shout-out to WTMA South Carolina. Let us continue our conversation. Let's go to Reno, Nevada who's listening online, Rich Valdez, com. Let's check in with Don. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Uh, I had a question for you about Donald Trump's civil case. Sure. Um, if this horrible Judge Arthur uh, takes away Trump's business license in New York, what avenues of appeal are open to Donald Trump? So what's happening here? Um, I, I think they can definitely continue to appeal it. Um, this is just the, the, the first level of, of the court. Uh, but yeah, it, it could potentially have a, a disastrous impact, mainly because there's a fine attached to this. Of I think the, the current fine that they're considering, or again, not official, but it's speculated to be like $250 million, which is, you know, that's a huge blow to anybody. It doesn't matter how much money you have. That's a lot of cash. And obviously it's there to cripple him. It's there to hurt him. Uh, the, the entire trial is there to hurt him. So I, I don't know that we're going to get there just yet. Uh, that would be really crazy. And I think Trump would have a lot of legs to stand on as he fights that in court. So we'll, we'll see. But again, even this case is a, is a somewhat weak one. And I think they know these things. And just like the other cases they brought that were kind of weak, they figure let's just bring the case anyway because we can tie him up in court. He won't be able to be fundraising. He won't be able to be doing rallies. He's only going to be dealing with this, diverting his attention, diverting his resources. And it's a, it's an unfair, it's an unfair way to play politics when it's not about the issues, but it's literally about using whatever power or institutional power you have to try and stop a political opponent. I think that's unfair. And I think most people see right through it. 
But uh, th that's where I'm at on that one, Don. Thank you very much. And let us uh, let's continue. Here we go. We're going to go to Matt Moorhead City, North Carolina. WD, excuse me, WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you doing today? Wonderful, bro. How are you? Very good. Um, well, my my question a while back, uh, a few minutes ago on your show, like say 10, 15 minutes, was yep. uh, with Hunter Biden and the FBI digging his gun out of the dumpster, allegedly, that's what I was told, <laughs> right? All they right. do is read the serial number and his gun permit. And if, if he can get off on that with not guilty, we can rename him Houdini Biden instead of Hunter Biden. It's quite a magic trick. You're right. It's an incredible feat. I don't know how they get away from this. They tried to do a diversion uh, without any trial saying, you know, because that happened while he was whatever and they're going to give him a pass. And they said, no, you can't do that. So now they brought the charge and now he's saying he's not guilty. Uh, I think ultimately this is open and shut. I can't see a situation where Hunter Biden is found not guilty on that charge because I think, you know, it's it's well documented. So uh, I, I don't I think he even admitted to it. So I, I don't know that this is going to be something that they get away from. But when you have the clown show that Congress has turned into, and it was already a clown show, let's be frank, but what it's turned into, I think um, there's going to be uh, a lot of distraction. And we're seeing just the beginning of that. And again, not intentional distraction, but it works. You know, if I had bad news, today would be the day to break it to anybody, right? So that you're not front and center in the media because you got so much other news going on. That's my thought, Matt. I appreciate it, brother. I got to take a quick pause here. Coming back to the rest of your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The shooting at Morgan State University uh, has said to no longer be an active shooter scenario. And there is uh, some information forthcoming at a press conference. So just to keep you up to speed on that, let's continue with your calls to wrap this one up. Let's go to Andrew Clinton, Illinois, W-H-O-W. Andrew, go right ahead. Quickly. Hi, Rich. I know we got to be quick, and I would just like to say I appreciate the uh, conversation about the previous couple callers at the top of the hour about the lack of fatherhood and the lack of a two-parent system in, in our yeah. country. I think that's a major problem. But I just wanted to get your take on uh, Victor Davis Hanson uh, being interviewed by Tucker Carlson this week uh, and him saying that 51% of uh, the basically the electorate no longer approving with the left's agenda and so now they're trying to bring in new constituents and at the same time change the system, change the voting system. Yeah, well, I haven't seen this interview that you're talking about, but uh, I think that analysis is right. It's definitely one of many um, spokes in their wheel on the left. I think that's always the way. And we talked about that, I think, last night with Scott Pressler. The, the way to win elections is to bring in more voters. You know, you have to create these voters. You can't just rely on the ones that you have where a third of them are going to vote Republican, a third of them are going to vote Democrat, and a third of them are going to remain independent. 
And it's not a, uh, the entirety of the population. It's a small number of the population that actually votes. So ultimately, the best way to win is to bring in new voters. And if the Democrats want to win, they just open up the border and they bring in a bunch of new people. Then they work with their friends at the state level to say every new 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 person across the border can qualify for a license because we got to get them a work permit. They need to be able to work in this country. And then you have the state saying, well, you know what? Everybody that gets a license is automatically registered to vote. And you don't even know who's doing what. Now, illegally, it's not a thing. Uh, constitutionally, it's not a thing. But when was the last time the law and the Constitution stopped the Democrats from doing anything? So I think that's the problem that we're facing. I think you're right. Re- redesigning everything. Frank in Cumberland, I'm sorry. I owe you for tomorrow. You're first on the list for us. I appreciate your call. Big shout out to WCBC. And thank you, Andrew, for your call. Folks, take care. Good night and God bless. We'll continue covering all of this stuff tomorrow. There's more news to come. And there's another program after me. So stick around right here. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.